Well, hey guys, welcome. Um, as you guys, uh, as I told you earlier, my name is Greg, and uh, we've got a lot to rejoice in today. Am I right? Um, on a day like this, 2,000 years ago, Satan tried to take down our God, and our God hung him on his own gallows. And we get to rejoice in that, and it's an amazing. And I'm so thankful for my friends who share their story of what God has done. Well, uh, have you guys ever wanted to just start over or start something new? Maybe you wanted to move to a new town, uh, get a new job, maybe get some new friends. Do you guys remember when you were uh, in high school, elementary school, middle school, the beginning of the year, what were you most excited about? Not school starting, but getting new clothes, right? Getting new clothes, getting new things. Um, how many of you guys, you just want to get a new car, even though the car you've got is probably doing just fine. Uh, it would just be nice to get a new one, right? We love getting new things because it's really, really exciting. Starting new relationships, getting new things is very hope-filled, right? Like where are you going to go in these new shoes? You know, what kind of memories are you going to make with these new friends? How much money could you make at that new job? The problem, though, with always chasing new is that we sometimes get distracted with dealing with the old. We, we get caught up in pursuing the new that we never deal with what's in our past. But it kind of makes sense, doesn't it? If we think about our past, the past is kind of boring. We don't even know what happened there. We've already been there, done that, got the t-shirt. And, but also, dealing with the past means that sometimes you've got to resurrect some problems. It means in those, re in those relationships, you might have to go and maybe admit that you've made some mistakes or a lot of mistakes. It means you have to have conversations and you've got to extend forgiveness and make amends. When it comes to relationships, sometimes we think it's just easier to move on, right? That we can just move on to the next town. But the problem is, uh, as the Avit brothers say in one of their songs, wherever you go, there you are. You know, what they mean by that is, hey, the problem is not what was in your last town. The problem is in you. And when you try to find a new town, you try to find a new relationship, maybe you find like you need a new spouse, maybe you need some new clothes, maybe you need a new church, maybe you need a new spiritual experience, you're looking for something new and that's not necessarily always wrong, but what is wrong is not dealing with the fact that there's some stuff that needs to be dealt with in the last town, in the last place, in the last relationship. And uh, what's really great is the Bible, Scripture tells us what we need to do to deal with that. And uh, today I want to talk about that. Because I believe that the problem was not in your last town and it's not going to be fixed in your next town. The problem was not in your last church. It's definitely not going to be fixed in your next church. What it's going to be is, it's in you. Something in you needs to change. And really where it started was before you even existed. Before you were born, the problem existed. And the problem was that we have a broken relationship with the living, creative God. Now, some of you in the room, you're thinking, okay, you're a Christian, of course you're going to say that. And you're absolutely right. Me and my brothers and sisters in this room who are Christians, we believe this with our whole heart. That the reason why that there's so much pain and hostility and brokenness, and the reason why we don't want to go and deal with the past is because we have a broken relationship with God. And we believe it so much that we see ourselves as ambassadors for Christ to share with you how that can change. And how God could give you a new life on the inside. To restore a right relationship, a new relationship with God. And so that you could have a new purpose as you live out that new life. Okay? And so I want to talk to you about that from 2 Corinthians chapter 5. It's going to be on the screen. It says this. 
about new life. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Now, the guy who's writing this letter right here, writing these words, his name is Paul. And he's writing to a group of people in a town called Corinth, all right? And he's writing to the church there. And he's writing these words, but there was a time in Paul's life where he didn't really believe it. He didn't really believe what he is saying right here. He didn't think of Christ, Jesus, as the Christ, as the Messiah that his people have been waiting for for thousands of years. He did not see him that way. Matter of fact, Paul believed that this Jesus guy, he regarded him in the flesh as just a rebel. And a rebel is not some like, you know, skinny jeans, black pants, right? Vans t-shirt, all right? Grandparents, that's not what I'm talking about, all right? Not these little rebels, skater punks. Rebels and rebellions resulted in a lot of bloodshed and death and pain and change. So Paul saw him as a danger. But he wasn't the only one. There were other Jews who saw him the same way. Now, there were some people who thought Jesus was a good guy, right? Like some of you, you're like, Jesus is, you know, he's a good guy. He's got some good teaching. But there were others, and Paul included, who thought he was a liar and a rebel, somebody worth being put down. And Paul believed that Jesus was a rebel. He believed it so much that he was willing to go and arrest and kill anybody who would follow this man, Jesus. He wanted to stamp out any memory of this Jesus because he regarded him as a rebel. But then one day something changes for Paul. And we know it because he says it right here. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we do it no longer. Why? What's changed for Paul? What's suddenly different? I'll tell you what's different. It's what we're celebrating today. What's different for Paul is the resurrection. Friends, I want you to understand something. The resurrection changes everything. Absolutely everything. This Paul was on his way to go kill more Christians, go rest more Christians. And on his way to go and persecute these people who believed in a dead God, suddenly he saw the resurrected Jesus on the road and had a confrontation with him. Imagine that. When you believe so firmly that he doesn't exist anymore and he's gone, he's just another guy. And suddenly that guy is sitting before you and has now knocked you off your horse. And so with this confrontation, it changes everything for Paul. You can imagine that Paul, he gets blinded in that situation. He was spiritually blind on the inside. Now he's physically blind and cannot see. And he's laying in a bed. And I can imagine that for Paul, a lot of Old Testament imagery and scriptures flooding into his brain. And he's thinking about what he's been doing. And he's thinking, I've been persecuting these people. And it turns out everything they've been saying is true. And if this guy, Jesus, who I thought was just another man, another rebel that needed to be put down, if he's alive, that means that he is more than a rebel. He is the Christ. He is the living God. And so Paul says, we regard him. No one according to the flesh. If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is gone. Behold, the new has come. Suddenly Paul has to wrestle with the idea, is what Jesus taught true? Is he really the resurrection and the life? 
There's a movie, um, I like it, you might judge me for it, but it's called Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? Maybe you like it, you've heard of it. Uh, if you haven't heard of Bro Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? It's about three men who are convicts who have broken out of prison and they're running for their lives, okay? So they're dressed in these convict clothes, right? These pinstripes and they're running. And they find themselves in these Alabama woods down by a river. And uh, as they're there, they're, suddenly they start hearing some singing, some hymn singing. And they look around and they're, suddenly there's, they're surrounded by Hundreds of these people dressed in these white robes going down to the river to be baptized. And it's this really like surreal moment. And uh, so these people are all lined up. They're singing this song and they're getting baptized because they have believed in Christ. And you can see a clear difference between these men. Right? You've got the convicts dressed like convicts looking scraggly and messed up. And then you've got these other people dressed in white with, you know, perfect churchy hair and all that stuff going down the river. And one of the guys, his name is Delmar, he's the goofiest of the bunch, he just, he is so moved by it, he takes off running down to the river. And he runs all the way down there, he runs into the river, and he runs straight up to the pastor, cutting everybody off. And he just looks at the pastor in the eyes, and the pastor just baptizes him there in the river. Now, he starts to come out of the river. What's the, what's the difference between Delmar going into the river and going out? Only one difference. He's now wet. He still looks like a convict. He still has prison clothes on. But he comes out and he says this. He goes, that's it, boys. All my sins been washed away. Ain't nothing God or man can hold against me now. And in a sense, what Delmar says is absolutely true. You see, we don't regard people according to flesh or what they look like on the outside, but who they are on the inside. And our God and our Christ wants to make us new on the inside. Even though we may still have wet prison clothes on, in Christ, we could be a new creation. Amen. Amen. But George Clooney is also kind of right. Because he says, hey, well, I think the great state of Alabama has something to say about that. <laughs> and he's right. They're still on the run. And so there's another reality that comes with this. We, we're given new life in Christ. Now, there's still sometimes earthly consequences to the decisions that we make. But there is some eternal consequences to choosing Jesus. You're a new creation. The old is gone. Behold, the new has come. So the question is, like Paul, how do you see Christ? It's not how do you regard others in this room right now and whether or not their pastel shirt looks great on Easter. The question is, how do you see Jesus? Is he just a good guy 2,000 years ago? Is he, was he just this political figure? Who is he? Or could he actually be the resurrection and the life? Friends, if he is, the resurrection changes everything. But we no longer, let's go. That's what I'm talking about, Keely. The resurrection changes everything. Because God wants to give you new life. And it's a new life on the inside. But God doesn't just want to give you new life. He also wants to give you a new relationship. In verse 18, it says this, All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting uh, to us the message of reconciliation. So Paul says the word reconciliation four times in two verses. Sounds like it might be a little important. But before I go to define what that means to you, I want to ask you a question. Have you ever had a relationship, a real one, 
in your entire life that didn't have sin, hostility, brokenness, pain, frustration? Uh, married folk, you want to answer that question? Have you ever had a relationship like that? If you say yes, the answer, I mean, let me just give you a newsflash. That wasn't a real relationship. They weren't your friend. So I can make the argument to you, and you guys would agree with me, it sounds like, that every human relationship is going to have sin and brokenness and hostility and frustration in it. That sin causes separation between you and I and you and each other. And it's the reason why things are so broken. But here's the thing. Do you have hostility between you and God? Is there sin between you and God? Now, I know some of you in the room, you're saying, yeah, I've got some hostility towards him. Yeah, he frustrates me. You know what kind of situation I'm in? What I'm, what's going on in my life? Of course I'm frustrated. And I would say, I understand how you feel. But the reality is, in our relationship with God, or lack thereof, if there's any sin in our hostility, it's on our end and not on God's. Romans 3.23 tells us, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Nothing in the Bible tells us God has ever sinned against us. And we have broken a relationship with God. And because of that broken relationship, friends, listen, you have broken relationship in your relationships. Horizontally it's broken because vertically it's been broken. And our sin has separated us from God. But God wanted to do something about that for your sake and my sake. So it says God through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is in Christ God was reconciling the entire world to himself. So let's define what is reconciliation. Listen to this. Reconciliation is not some polite ignoring or reduction of hostility, but rather it's total and objective removal. Listen, my Wyoming friends who like to ignore your problems and just move to a different part of town, or I should say humans, it's not a polite ignoring or reduction of hostility, but rather it's total and objective removal. Paul says that in God, you are no longer held accountable to your sin. And that thing that separated you from God has been handled. He says literally, your debt has been paid. Amen. So here's the thing. Uh, at the gym uh, a couple weeks ago, one of my friends, she came up to me, uh, came up to a group of us, and she just had this look in her eyes of joy. And so I wasn't quite sure what it was because we just worked out, and nobody has joy after they work out. And so she came up, and uh, she goes, guys, I just got to tell you, me and my husband are debt-free. We have paid off all of our debts. And they've been married for, for a time. And uh, there was this look in her eyes. I don't know if you've ever seen the movie Aladdin, but it reminded me of that song where they sing, you know, it's a whole new world, right? Some of you got it, parents got that. If you don't get it, it's probably because I'm a terrible singer. But the, there was this look in her eyes like the world had a whole slew of new opportunities. And she saw the world in a whole new way. And maybe she was thinking, man, I can spend some money now. But the reality is if any of you have ever had de debt or you're sitting under debt right now, whether it's house, car, college, whatever, you know that there is a weight and a burden that is on you when you look at it. Am I right? It weighs you down. And I looked at my friend and I saw a beautiful picture in her of what happens when we have our debts 
removed. And that's exactly what God says he has done. But the reality is, friends, listen, the mountain of debt that you have between you and God is so big, you cannot work to pay it off. Religion says that, but a God who wants to have a relationship with you says otherwise. And he says, your debt is paid through Jesus Christ. I am reconciling to you and there is now no hostility between you and I. And for the rest of eternity, you will have peace with me forever. It changes everything. That's what the resurrection shows us. And so God wants to have that relationship with you, my friend. And here's the thing is, when God did that for me and showed me that he could give me new life and that he could take away that guilt and shame that are on my shoulders, he didn't just show me that I could have a new relationship with him. He also showed me that I could have a new relationship with everybody around me. Because if God would go to the length of putting on a cross for our sake, having a crown of thorns on his head, even though he deserved no sin, or he had no sin, then what sacrifice is too much? How, what level of reconciliation is too much between me and my fellow man? Because you have never sinned against me more than I have sinned against God. And I've never sinned against you more than you've sinned against me. And so if he could cover all those debts, I tell you what, man, it gives us the freedom to have reconciliation also with one another. And that's what means, that's why I say, not only does God want to give us new life and a new relationship with him, he also gives us a new mission. A new mission. Verse 20 says this, therefore, we are ambassadors of Christ. God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. An ambassador is a man or woman who is stationed at an outpost, right, in a foreign land to represent a sovereign, a leader in another country and exercise his will and to share what his truth is in this other country. And so we at Outpost Community Church, the members here want you to know we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us for you. And our accreditation as ambassadors comes from Jesus. We don't care if Trump or Biden or any man gives us accreditation. We're not waiting for men to accredit us. The man, the God, has given us a credibility. And now we're weak fleshly men, but we make our appeal to you as ambassadors. And as ambassadors, we listen to what First Corinthians or Second Corinthians 5 says. We're not looking, we're not regarding you according to the flesh. We're not so concerned about the sins and the addictions that followed you in here. We're not worried about what color you are or how much you make or whether or not you've did, done prison time. That's not what we're concerned most about. That's not what ambassadors of Christ are concerned most about. Our greatest concern is for who you are on the inside. You may have prison clothes on right now in your life, but we know that you could be made new. And we know that you could be made new and we'd share this with you because we've seen it in our own lives. That video showed it. That's just several of my friends who come out of slavery and addiction and brokenness and pain, all caused by their own sin. And they've seen how in Christ they could be set free to have new life and new relationship with God. Let's go. Listen, guys, there were ambassadors who came into my life 16 years ago and I sat in a chair just like yours. 
I was a young guy, but I was more sinful than any of the men and the women and my friends around me could ever believe. And uh, look, I attended the church services to feel good. I stopped cussing at the appropriate times. But inside, I knew what was going on. I knew I was separated from God. I didn't need a pastor to tell me that. I could feel the weight because of my sexual addiction, because of the drugs that I've been pursuing to cover up my pain and insecurities. And worst of all, my secret prayer in my teenage years that God would just kill me. I was hurting and broken because of my sin. But in that moment, God showed me that I don't have to identify with those things anymore. I can identify with Christ because of what he's accomplished. And so I tell you as an ambassador for Christ, verse 21 is the most important thing you could ever hear me read. It says this, for our sake, he, the father, made him, Jesus, to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Friend, for our sake, for my sake and for your sake, God made Jesus be sin for you. What does that mean? Well, that's the point of this whole day. That's the reason why this is so important. That's why the resurrection changes everything. Because sinful people die. Because death is a result of sin. But Jesus never sinned. So why did he die? For our sin. But here's the thing. Why could the grave not hold him down? Because he had no sin. And it shows that what he had accomplished on the cross for us, in dying for us, in being raised in the grave, it shows us that he finished it. And we are now can have the righteousness of God. Romans 8 verses 3 through 4 say it like this. But God did with the law, the thing that you get so anxious about at churches, God did with the law, weakened by our own flesh, could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh, like us, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law, the thing you couldn't do, might be fulfilled in you. That's what 2 Corinthians 5, 21 says. That you now have Jesus' righteousness. You just have to believe. So, chapter 6, verse 1 and 2. Listen. Working together with him, me and my friends, co-ambassadors with Christ, we appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain. For, he says, in a favorable time I listened to you. In a day of salvation I have helped you. Guys, scripture tells us there's only one way to be saved. And it comes in Romans chapter 10, 9 through 10. It says it like this. It's really simple. It says this, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Listen, friend, it's because it's with your heart that you believe and are justified, which means made not guilty. And it's with your mouth that you confess and say, he is my Lord. I believe in him. So the question is, you've come to a lot of church services. Maybe you've been to an Easter service. Maybe you've heard this message. But the question is, will you believe? Will you simply believe? We're not saying you've got to get your flesh in order. We're saying, will you believe in Jesus? Do you believe that he is the resurrection and the life? For behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. You need to understand something. There is a privilege in the present. But there is a danger in delay. The privilege of the present right now is you have a chance right now to choose Christ. 
to believe and to confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. You can do it right now. And that's all it takes for you to be saved. That's it. If you believe. Now belief is followed up with action. It's affirmed by actions, but it starts with belief, not actions. So you could choose to do that today, but there is a danger in delay. And the danger of delay is when poor and foolish men and women think that they could just wait and then when they're ready and when it's convenient for them and when they, uh, at the right time, they'll go to God. But let me ask you, how do you know what tomorrow is going to bring? You think that you can live and die as you please, but that's not how life works. And those who've been around the block in here a lot longer know that to be true. Yesterday was filled with the tears of mothers, fathers, brothers, and sisters who lost, lost a loved one too soon. When death comes, it's not going to give you a heads up. It's going to come. And there's a danger and delay. You do not know if you get the chance to make that choice tomorrow or tonight. And I'm not trying to scare you into heaven. I'm trying to shake you out of your drunken self-delusion, thinking that you have control over your breath. You don't. When I was 18 years old, I was working at a summer camp in North Carolina, and I had a young man who was in third grade. And he was absolutely the coolest third grader I've ever met in my life to this day. Uh, his name was Jonathan Thacker. And Jonathan was a sweet little boy, little baseball player, had long hair to his shoulders and his bangs were cut perfectly flat. He wore a flat bill. He was a baseball player, right? Like he, he was just so sweet. And uh, he was one of the kindest kids I've ever met because we would have kids in our room. As you know, you get 12 third to fifth grade boys in a room, they're going to fight eventually. And uh, one of the youngest got picked on. And I remember watching Jonathan Thacker climb up into his bunk and his whitey tidies and lay in bed with that kid and just remind him that Christ loved him. A third grader. Reminding another third grader that what mattered most was his relationship with God and that God loved him deeply. That kid, he would play the piano for his church. He just loved everyone. His brother loved him. I mean, just, he was just a beautiful kid. And Saturday comes, the kids go home. Monday comes, a new set of kids come in. And Monday came, and then Tuesday came. And on Tuesday, we usually had a, a, a camp counselor uh, meeting. And so I was heading to that meeting. And on the way, the program director came and grabbed me. He said, Greg, I got to talk to you real quick. He said, hey, I just want to let you know, Jonathan Thacker's family got in a car accident, and Jonathan's dead. He's the only one who suffered any injury, and he is dead. Nine years old. And everybody said it was too soon. But I guarantee you, for Jonathan Thacker, once he saw Jesus, I bet you he would have said, man, I wish you would have came yesterday, Lord. It was not too soon for him. And for the last 12 years of my life, he has been seeing Jesus face to face. He knows what my Lord sounds like. Because he didn't delay. He saw and took advantage of the, of the present to give his life to Christ. And if a nine-year-old can understand that, so can you. And it changed his life. He had new relationships with God, new relationship with others. We praise God for that. Friends, I got a new mission and it's that my daughter would be like Jonathan Thacker and she would know the grace of God. It terrifies me to think that my daughter might not know that Jesus really did raise from the dead and that changes everything. 
So as an ambassador for Christ, it scares the life out of me that some of you still think that you could do this on your own and everything's going to be okay. And if you just move to the next town, you move to the next relationship, you get the the next new thing, that's going to be okay. But you know that's going to fade and it's going to go away. But for 16 years I've followed Jesus and it's only gotten better. And I haven't needed a new Savior. In fact, I'll just need to be reminded by my friends every day that all I need is Jesus. So my prayer for you as an ambassador for Christ with my fellow ambassadors is that you would take advantage of the grace of God for you. Let me pray for you. God, we, I say I am amazed at your kindness. If it came down to how we look on the outside, God, I think you would have chose other men over me. But God, I'm thankful that you did not regard me in my deadness and in my sin, but you loved me. I pray, Spirit of God, help my friends here to see they don't have to get their act together. They just need to get together with you. And I pray you give them the ability to believe and trust you. Then you would reconcile them to yourself. That they may have new life and a new relationship and a new mission. And God, may Cody be different and changed because of that. We love you, Lord. This is all for you. In Christ's name, amen.